Welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up for the week of 2 February 2020. Uh, this week, uh, we've got Badass Army. We've got Ashley Madison. All the show wrap-ups. All that and more on Security Weekly News Wrap-Up. Stick around. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Make sure your team is prepared to fight off the latest cybersecurity threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can stream IT Pro TV courses live and on demand, so there's no need to send staff to off-site training. Team subscriptions include Pro Portal, so managers have full control over your team's training schedule. Go to itpro.tv/hack-naked and use the code HN30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership. As technology continues to evolve and expand, so have the countless ways our critical systems can be put in jeopardy. Ransomware attacks, misconfiguration, user error, and malicious threat actors, to name a few. As IT infrastructures continue to grow and diversify, how do you ensure stable security? Core Security, a help systems company, provides an analytics-driven, layered approach to security with a portfolio that enables both proactive and reactive responses. With Core Security, you can reduce risk by limiting access, detect upcoming and active threats, test for security weaknesses, and efficiently monitor data for actionable insights. To learn more, visit securityweekly.com forward slash core security. Hello, I'm Doug White and welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up Show. We're going to wrap up the topics from this week uh, on all of our mini shows. On Application Security Weekly number 94, Mike, John, and Matt had an interview with Clint Gilber. Uh, the topic was a presentation that he had done titled An Opinionated Guide to Scaling Your Company's Security. On Business Security Weekly number 161, Matt, Jason, and Paul had an interview with David Starobensky, who is a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Boston University. The topic was network communications in the world of IoT, so definitely worth uh, checking that one out. I uh, like that topic a lot. On Enterprise Security Weekly, number 171, Paul, Matt, John, and Jeff Mann, who was on there, had an interview with Malcolm Harkins, the Chief Security and Trust Officer for Cymatic, who is an InfoSec World speaker. The topic of that interview was the rise of the cyber industrial complex and expense in depth. Notice the little play on words there. Uh, that was a focus on how there's a lack of good economic incentives means we basically continue to use outdated approaches to control for risks and thus defense in depth turns into expense in depth. The second segment was an interview with Wilson Bautista, a retired military officer and another speaker at InfoSec World coming up uh, later this month. The topic was security orchestration is not just about tools. This is more of a leadership discussion about culture and building security culture, which is something we're actually not very good at, in my humble opinion. On the Security Weekly News, number nine, Jason Wood provided expert commentary talking uh, talking about the development of the Iranian cyber campaign against the United States, and in particular, malware that was being used in these newer attacks from Iran. Uh, an interesting segment there. 
on Security and Compliance Weekly number 16. Jeff, Matt, uh, Scott, and Josh, they had a big crew on there this week as well, talked with the legendary Chris Roberts of Adivo Networks. Uh, and uh, general day drinking was, I think, the topic of that segment. Uh, Chris was actually here in the studio, so that was super cool because I got to meet him because I was here right after that. Uh, the segment was talking about pretty much just like everything, if you, if you, if you listen to it. Uh, and any chance you get to hear from Chris Roberts is usually a pretty good opportunity. So I w- I w- if you didn't catch that, uh, check it out. Jeff Mann will also be at ShmooCon all weekend, so if you're going to be at ShmooCon, uh, be sure and uh, try to cage a drink off of them, or more likely you end up buying him one, but that's okay. Uh, and finally, last night on Paul's Security Weekly, number 638, a crowd of hosts, Paul, Jeff, Lee, Patrick, Tyler, and Ja all showed up for that show. Uh, Larry wasn't there, nor was I. Um, the first segment was a, was awesome with Caitlin Bowden from uh, Badass uh, and the Badass Army. And uh, if you don't know what that stands for, it stands for Battling Against Demeaning and Abusive Selfie Sharing, uh, something that you may or may not be very aware of. Uh, primarily, they were talking about Badass and its role in the cyber community, which provides resources for people who find themselves having photos of themselves being shared online without their consent and ways to protect your personal and intimate data. And I'm going to talk a little more about that uh, in a little bit. In the second segment, uh, the discussion around uh, recent adventures, uh, particularly uh, here at Security Weekly and others, uh, into AWS and the use of cloud computing, and then, of course, uh, the, the news segment, which, uh, as always, is always a good time to watch. Um, based on the shows this week, my favorite threat of the week was security through obscurity. Um, the Iowa caucuses basically tried and are still trying to figure out how to use an app that was developed and supposedly secured with security through obscurity. Uh, when I first saw that story come out uh, and they said they didn't want to reveal the app or the name of the app or how the app worked or any of the things that had been done to the app, I immediately said, oh, no, not this crap again. I've been hearing this stuff about security through obscurity since literally my very first professional job back in the 80s where someone told me we shouldn't be testing bank security because that just reveals our weaknesses. And I'm like, maybe you should fix the weaknesses. Here we go again. Uh, Of course, that technique has never, ever, ever worked, uh, especially in hurriedly developed high-profile applications. You know, you'd think with all the millions people are dropping on this campaign season, someone could have afforded to give us us a call uh, for advice on this app. In addition to be reported as buggy and glitched, ProRepublica reported on Wednesday that the app apparently contains some inherent vulnerabilities. This was apparently based on an analysis by Chris Wasope, uh, or Wasopel at Veracode. Uh, basically, the app then got ripped apart by a whole pile of groups. The story's on there if you want to check it out. Uh, and they found out that it had serious vulnerabilities and was described as amateur hour. Shadow, the developer of the company, continues to defend the product and that it was very simple on purpose. Uh, From what I read, the vulnerabilities were not affecting the election results uh, and that most of the problems were due to the app being hard to use and that no one got any training on this app beforehand. Um, Basically, you know, it just didn't work. So I, you know, security through obscurity is a disaster. I've said that for the 10,000th or so time now. Please test, audit, and beta your apps. Really? Come on. You guys know better than that. Uh, My breach of the week was Ashley Madison. What else could I choose? 
Um, Ashley Madison was, um, I don't know, a site that helped people set up affairs. Uh, this breach that occurred on Ashley Madison was actually way back in 2015. Uh, and basically what the breach resulted in was all their data being stolen. Uh, the reason this is current news is, is these people called sextortionists, which sounds like a lot of fun, but I, I'm not sure that it is. Um, they, the sextortionists were providing detailed information to try and get a better result when they extort people by actually sending the victims information about themselves that apparently came out of the Ashley Madison breach and asking for about $1,000 in Bitcoin to avoid exposing whatever it is that's in, uh, that's in the rest of the data. This is a lot like those emails that I, we all get that say, you know, I saw what you were doing yesterday because I hacked your webcam, so I recorded it and you better pay up or I'm going to send it to all your family members. I'm like, okay, yeah, for me, that was like I was sitting here uh, you know, working on something. So it's probably a really boring video. So go right ahead. Um, but now because they're actually providing the details, they're really trying to scare you into paying. The group, which claimed credit for this called Impact Team, uh, basically said they're stealing and releasing the data due to Ashley Madison uh, using bots instead of actual female members uh, as uh, site members. I'm not sure how that works since you're trying to arrange an affair with somebody. If it turns out it's a bot, I'm not sure. I guess Ashley Madison gets money just by you signing up. Uh, they probably get to bombard you with ads. I, I've never been on the site, so I don't know. Gizmodo actually did have an analysis of the Ashley Madison site and said that apparently only around 1% of the Ashley Madison female accounts were actually active users. So that could either mean people that signed up or bots. It, it wasn't clear to me from that. Things to read up on the, this week. Based on our story, um, a, a couple of stories actually, uh, my topic was hacking back. Uh, this term, hacking back, is an old term, but there was an article from Bloomberg uh, titled, The Time I Sabotaged My Editor with Ransomware from the Dark Web. Uh, and then we had this segment uh, with, with Caitlin from Badass, made me think a lot about revenge uh, and what today is often called hacking back. Um, I think all of us have been trolled or attacked at some point in our online lives and we started thinking, you know, I really want to fix this person up, whether it was an a, a co-worker or someone else you didn't even know. And certainly back in the old days, uh, I dealt with uh, a lot of these kind of attacks by firing what we called firing a shot across the bow. One of the very first things I ever wrote uh, that I used on the internet was a port scanner that I actually uh, pieced together out of Satan and C code was basically to just plaster you. And the guy that I was after was some guy named Spock. You know who you are. Uh, that was in about 96 who kept running all these like denial of service scans against my border uh, devices. And I actually fired shots across his bow uh, and he did go away. Uh, but today, of course, this is illegal. So in the United States, it's also illegal to put ransomware on someone else's machine or post their pictures on sites without their permission. So before you decide to hack back or to do revenge porn, 
Uh, you might want to check out some of the information that was talked about on last night's Pulse Security Weekly in the third segment about that. Uh, check out badassarmy.org. I put links to that on there. And maybe get a little more information about this. If you're being harassed online, I've done several cases like this for people where they were actually having their pictures posted online without their permission and trying to stop it. So check out badassarmy.org, uh, their website, or watch that segment with Caitlin, and uh, that may give you some more insight into how to deal with revenge porn, uh, as well as uh, this article from Bloomberg about putting ransomware on your boss's machine, which is never going to be a good idea. So, like, don't do that unless you're prepared to get in a lot of trouble. And now the top news from all the shows. Um, so, uh, basically, uh, my, my top story, was, I, I think, for me, was, was the Badass Army stuff. I really, uh, they were going to, as soon as they post that segment, I'm gonna, I'll tweet it and I'll put it on, on Facebook as well uh, to check that out. But uh, I think the best line uh, last night on uh, Paul's Security Weekly was Paul uh, basically commented on the pseudo uh, bug story. So uh, there was a pseudo bug that uh, lets non-privileged Linux and Mac OS users run commands as root. Imagine that. And uh, uh, this was an old bug, but apparently the issue is that CVE 2019-18634 may still be there in Mac OS. Paul's line was, isn't that what pseudo is supposed to do? <laughs> Which I thought, well, yeah. And... Uh, I, I also uh, like the, the line from the show where they said, uh, well, OSCP students all said, let me take the exam right now on my MacBook. But basically, it just shows you that these old CVEs aren't necessarily old and that we don't always control what versions of anything are being used in proprietary software or operating systems. So be careful because uh, something that you think should have been patched long ago may actually uh, be there. Um, I definitely want to re-mention the sabotaging with uh, my editor with ransomware story that I mentioned earlier. If you download things from the dark web, well, not just is it illegal to do in terms of installing these things on uh, other people, but these dark web kits often have issues with root kits and backdoors that are being used against you as well. So you may end up in one of these extortion scams or getting your own data stolen or you get uh, taken over by uh, the software that you installed or downloaded. So be very careful. And hacking back can certainly get you in big trouble. Um, uh, you know, the dark website's probably anonymous. And when they want to punish somebody, they'll come after the person they can identify. So if you're doing this kind of stuff at work, bad idea. Um, a story from ESW talked about bringing your own device at work and how that's a right, uh, how that's not a right, but rather a privilege. Uh, well, I personally think this is a big challenge for everyone. If you allow BYOD at work, you do end up having to manage all these devices and prevent them from becoming problems inside your environment. Uh, this is outside, of course, insider threat risk as well. But today, uh, this, this article is definitely worth a read. I don't think that it's very feasible anymore for people at work to do this old school approach of saying, you can only use this for work. I know they still say that, and you probably agreed to it when you did training at your job, but it's still, to me, a, a giant issue when you bring a phone and or a laptop in and plug it into uh, the operation at work. Researchers at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory have developed a 3D brain on a chip. Uh, this is a device which can record long-term human neural activity uh, in essentially a network of neurons that's stored on a chip. 
They basically were able to keep hundreds of thousands of human-derived neurons alive, networked, and communicating in a three-dimensional gel for up to 45 days. Uh, it was a pretty interesting story. Uh, this device may lead to the ability to test and evaluate all sorts of things in the context of the human brain without using animal testing or, or human testing. Uh, it could also, of course, lead to Skynet, but, you know, who's counting? And, of course, once your brain's on a chip, well, then the CVEs that you're reading about will all be for your brain. So you can worry about uh, did, uh, did the OS they use to install your brain on a chip actually have uh, various uh, malware installed in it already? And in that same light, a Bluetooth security flaw found by Boston University, and, and if you didn't hear that earlier, we did have an interview with uh, a professor from Boston University this week on Security Weekly. A Bluetooth security flaw can allow tracking of all your Windows, iOS, and Mac OS devices. Um, basically, a paper was published showing vulnerabilities in all sorts of operating systems around Bluetooth at the 19th Privacy Enhancing Technology Symposium in Stockholm. A flaw in the low energy component, which is called BLE, allows the extraction of identifying tokens um, that contain the device type, manufacturer, and all kinds of other information. BLE uses non-encrypted advertising channels to announce itself to all the other devices in the area, and apparently some of these tokens are, are they exist long enough so that this can be used along with MAC addresses or other components to identify and track the device of uh, I, not for a long period of time, but maybe long enough somebody can follow you to your car or maybe follow you home. I, I don't know how long. It didn't say how long it persisted. It just said it did persist statically. Uh, in the same line, uh, for zero trust to work, machines and humans require identities. I like this idea. I've been talking about this for, for years. One of the big problems with zero trust, which we advocate a lot now, is, is the idea that we basically assume everyone is a threat, which means that we have to somehow then turn around and try to accurately identify who is whom. Currently, we don't have good mechanisms for making reliable profile of, of who is what or what is who in the network, the Internet and the world as such. And, of course, there's all kinds of issues with this, and I know most of you are very concerned about privacy and giving up that right to anonymity and so on. But when we use zero trust, this creates a, a very difficult network management problem because we have to figure out which machines in our network we can trust. And we've certainly seen things like Kerberos and other tools in the past that were used uh, to do this sort of thing, but it's, 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 a, it's becoming a bigger challenge all along. And along those same lines then, in, in a dark reading study, 61% of businesses surveyed in a dark reading, in a study that they did, had moved away from a commercial app because of application security issues. This was kind of underscored again with this Iowa debacle and the shadow app that I talked about earlier. All that stuff adds up to, I think, you know, as we as our concerns about these proprietary applications, the lack of trans of transparency on these uh, may lead companies to move toward open source or homegrown applications. Um, they definitely move to other commercial apps, and a lot of them were talking about open source. I love to see open source and open code, but I do know that that creates a whole new set of problems about how we, we deal with this. But again, it, all that goes back to that security through obscurity business. Be careful, though. Hopping onto new apps from old apps just because you heard that there was a CVE issued or there was a bug may just mean you get a whole new set of problems on the new app. So, you know, 
Hang in there. The crypto sculpture, if you're unfamiliar, is in the courtyard at CIA headquarters, and it has never been fully decrypted in the 30 years it has sat out there. There are four ciphers on the crypto sculpture. Three of them were broken, uh, but the fourth has withstood the test of three decades. Jim Sandburn, the sculptor, has provided clues in the past for this, uh, and he did just recently release a new clue that he says is the last clue he will ever release about this. And if you're playing along at home, that clue is Northeast. Good luck. Uh, the NSA, though, de decrypt three messages in less than a month uh, when the sculpture was first revealed, according to now-released NSA documents. I put those stories up if you want to take a look at them. My dreams of an autonomous car continue to be dashed. Um, and a new release today or this week showed that researchers had been able to fool the autopilot systems on Teslas and other systems, uh, and, and so including the Tesla X. So, hey, Elon, I know that, that you, you, know, you need the money, but uh, you know, there's Security Weekly hosts here that don't have Tesla Xs right now. I mean, literally. Fake images were being projected by drones and billboards that could be mistaken for real by these autopilot systems. And this, of course, could allow attackers to force vehicles to behave erratically. I still want one, though. So, Elon, look, if you're listening, seriously. Um, there is hope, though. Lawrence Livermore Lab, again, I, I think I might be getting some of these stories from Lee, uh, published a paper about the use of deep learning, uh, which is a, a type of machine learning that has been used at everything from beating Go masters to chess games and so forth, and is now being used to study and train ride-sharing vehicles to be more efficient in both driving and their charging behaviors. I think Uber really, really, really wants to get rid of Uber drivers. Uh, that, that seems to be their main, main thing there. A high-severity flaw in the Hue smart light bulbs can be exploited to gain entry into targeted Wi-Fi networks. This is another Zigbee issue. Uh, it's still the same CVE 2020-6007 flaw. Uh, this one actually causes heap overflows on the bridging device that Hue light bulbs use, that if you have Hue light bulbs, you have to have a bridge somewhere. Uh, the grim details were not really allowed so that uh, they could allow Hugh time to patch this issue before they revealed what the issue is, but continues to underscore the need uh, to beware of IoT and other add-on components into your networks. We see this all the time. It's very difficult to set up DMZs for all these devices, but you're probably moving down that road. Uh, if you heard the guys last night talking on the show, they were talking about setting up DMZs for your TV because the TVs were actually running port scans of your network. And as we see devices start to scan our networks and collect information, uh, we had stories last week about a vast collecting information. You may have to DMZ just about everything. So there's a product idea. You might want to jump into some way to develop better DMZs. I get a cut and a Tesla X, Elon. Come on. Um, and, and this one, for anybody who really who enjoys really slow data extractions, um, but this, this really did work. So this is a very cool thing. Uh, there was a few years ago, uh, there was a, there was a, a, uh, exploit of sorts where they were causing the hard drive, uh, IO light to blink in binary. So they were literally reading the drive out by causing the ones to make the light blink and the zeros to make the light go dark or so I don't remember what the pattern was and they were they were literally looking at that with a drone camera through a window so they were very slowly ex exfiltrating the drive well this particular exploit it takes that a way 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 further they used the brightness of an LCD screen to transmit data from an air-gapped computer 
So you've probably heard, if you've listened to me for very long, you've probably heard me say Vanek Freaking at some point. And Vanek Freaking, if you don't know what it was, was the creation of uh, or the use of, a sil- of uh, an oscilloscope to collect data from CRT monitors way, way back in the 60s and 70s. And that started what is called Tempest. And Tempest was a big deal with government entities. They surrounded machines with metal cages. They put uh, glass over the screens. It was, you could only read from a certain angle and so forth to try to prevent classified information from leaking. Well, this paper from the 12th CMI Conference on Cybersecurity and Privacy, uh, the authors Guri, Bikovsky, and Elovici, Elovici uh, famous, they were already famous for their side channel Tempest uh, exfiltration that they've done in the past, so you can look them up if you want from this article. They used an invisible attack this time. Basically what happened was the, the malware that somehow they embedded, so that's the side channel part, I guess, uh, emitted subtle changes in the brightness that could be detected by a video camera but not by the human eye. They caused the red pixels to increase by 3% for a 1 uh, and then go back to normal for a 0. And as such, the receiver was, e- was able to get this from, uh, I think they said 60, uh, 12 meters, away, no, 6 meters. 6 meters, so roughly, what, 12 feet? Uh, and they were, they were able to exfiltrate 16 bits at about 5 bits per second. So this is not going to be able to get you the whole hard drive any time in the foreseeable future. But they did put a video up, and I put a link to it, that would let you see just how slow it was for them to read. Uh, they were reading out a book or something. I think it was Winnie the Pooh uh, over this like crazy invisible link. So check that video out. Finally, a performance artist in Berlin took 99 cell phones on a ride in a wagon to fool Google Maps into thinking a traffic jam was occurring while he walked down various streets in Berlin. Uh, I actually put a link to the video of this performance in the wiki. Google did figure it out in about an hour and shut the whole thing down, but the implication still remains that it might be possible to affect big data traffic apps that rely on cell phone data from users like Waze uh, using this type of technique, and that may be able to mean that you could possibly redirect traffic somehow. I don't know. Um, but I, I have min- minions out right now clearing the way for me to drive home from the studio uh, so I don't have to deal with any traffic. Well, that's a wrap-up for the news of the week of the second of 2 February. I'm Doug White from Roger Williams University. We'll see you next week with more shows and more security news. Thanks for tuning in.